today, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to two passages, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and then also Mark 5. I want to speak to you a message called the power to be free. Power to be free. Now, uh, you guys understand uh, that today of all days is Halloween and um, uh, I believe that the greatest black eye we can give to Satan on a night where so many people are celebrating death is people experiencing new life in Christ and baptisms. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing here today. We're celebrating the new life that is in Christ. But around this holiday, uh, there, there really is one word um, connected to this holiday that you need to, uh, that, that we kind of all wrestle with and that, that many people actually uh, have struggled with in a very uh, real way, and that is fear. People have been struggling with fear, and really, this holiday, if that's what you want to call it, is really all about fear. Now, I grew up, you know, in this little, little, tiny missionary Baptist churches, these good country folks, and every year at Halloween, okay, it was kind of a, a, a tradition that they put on a haunted house. Not a like, hey, by the way, you're on, a hell, on your way to hell, you need Jesus and you're going to heaven house. No, a haunted house. The pastor's wife dressed up as a witch. holding my tongue right there. There's lots of jokes right there. I just, just left them right there. But there they are. Here we are as kids, you know. We, like the last event I ever wanted to go to was the Halloween party at the church. The deacons looking like demons, pastor's wife looking like a witch, come into this dark space. I'm like, you guys are crazy lost your minds. It was all about fear. You know, somebody's over there stirring a cauldron full of chili. It's bizarre. This is my experience. And, you know, that's how I know some people don't, don't understand what, what's really behind uh, the fear that is connected to this holiday. And I want to tell you something today. I believe a great testimony is rising in the earth where there is a group of people called the Church of Jesus Christ who no longer is being subject to fear but is walking in victory over fear. However, there has been a major spirit of fear released upon the earth and, and, and as a result, people, are, people don't know how to respond. Now, here's what you need to know about fear, and I'm going to kind of teach you today. Is it okay that I, I just help you line upon line? I could preach to you. I can do that. Come, come next week. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll be a little more preachy. Today, I'm going to teach you a, a, a few things that are going to help you. From 2 Timothy chapter 1, this is what it says. It says in verses 6 and 7, it says, Therefore, I remind you, 
Timothy, to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So here's what you need to understand. The spirit of fear has an origin, and that origin is hell. And any holiday that is celebrating fear probably has its origins in hell and should be handled properly. Welcome to your anti-Halloween message. Not in the way that you think. I'm talking about the biblical way. So God says, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But that doesn't mean that there aren't people who are experiencing fear, anxiety, uh, they're, they're experiencing depression many times uh, paired with, peer, uh, with fear. And, and I, I just want you to know before we get too deep into this, for those who think that, you know, oh, well, you know, this is just, this is just an attitude of heart, you know, uh, there's something more to this. There is a spiritual component to fear that unless you address properly, you'll never really overcome. Now, here's what Jesus says about himself. If the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. If the Son makes you free, you shall be what? Free indeed. This means that I don't have to embrace any level of fear in my life. Now, listen. When I say the word fear... Some of you may have some different ideas about what fear is. I believe that there is wisdom that sometimes we, we, we think, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk cautiously in this life and sometimes too cautiously. I'm not going to share the gospel. I'm not going to open my mouth. Why? Because I'm timid. I'm afraid of what actually might happen. I'm not talking about that kind of fear. Some of us need both to get rid of that timidity, but also need some wisdom. Listen, you don't need to jump out of an airplane with a parachute somebody else packed. To me, that's wisdom. I watch people jump off of the bridge between Zambia and Zimbabwe into the Zambezi Gorge right beside uh, the great Victoria Falls with nothing more than a rubber band tied to their ankles. Okay. It is not fear that keeps you from jumping. It's wisdom. I'm trying to help some folks. Trying to help some folks. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, the kind of wisdom that we use to keep, uh, keep us from being frivolous in the way that we act. I'm talking about there is a fear that paralyzes and keeps people from moving forward and, to, and to, really, to honestly, keeps them from stepping in to what God has for them. And it's bondage. It can be described as nothing more than bondage. So what does it really look like when someone is spiritually bound? We're going to read a story about 
uh, a, a man who was spiritually bound in Mark chapter 5. We're going to read about 15 verses, and I, I'm going to take some time to contrast what it looks like to be under a spirit of fear, and then what it also looks like to be under the control of the Spirit of God. In Mark 5, verse 1, it says this, Then there came out, uh, came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had been dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. I, I just want to give you this. This is totally free. It's not a part of the message. You need to understand this. If you come in here and you've been tormented by demons, you've been, you've been tormented by the devil, I'm telling you this truth you can find in Mark 5. There is no devil in hell that can keep you from worshiping Jesus. This story is proof of it. It doesn't matter how bound you've been, how tormented you've been, how dark your life has been. When Jesus comes near, there will always be an opportunity for you to run to the feet of a Savior who will set you free. Now, he cried out in a loud voice, this demonized man, and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. I'm just going to kind of walk you through this. This is actually, there's a Hebrew idiom here. It's a local saying uh, that, that, that is kind of, kind of lost in translation here. But it's kind of like saying, hey, are we good? There's nothing between us, is there? Why is this demonized man saying, hey, are we good? Because the demons are absolutely terrified of Jesus. They're terrified. They were like, are we good? We're good, right? We're good. That's what he runs in. Hey, we're good, right? Why? Because he, he sees one who is more powerful than he. And he says, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said... Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Which uh, some commentaries believe is about 6,800. For we are many. And also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine were feeding near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine, and there were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down into the steep place into the sea and drowned into the sea. So those who, uh, those who fed the swine fled. They told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. 
Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Before we move on, I want to tell you, the most terrifying thing to our culture is not it's it's not ghosts, it's not goblins, it's not large displays in your lawn of spiders and you know death crawling out. You know it's not skeletons and all the rest. The most terrifying thing to our culture is a people who are no longer afraid because of what Jesus has done in their life. That's the most terrifying thing. Why are they not afraid when this guy is screaming naked and decided the country club is in the graveyard? Not afraid then. Afraid when they see the possibility what a life looks like when it's completely set free by Jesus. That's terrifying to culture. Terrifying. But I want you to see here this truth. This is my personal belief. And I'll tell you why. I believe the main spirit controlling this man was a spirit of fear. And I'll tell you why. He had many different spirits, but I'll tell you why I believe it's a spirit of fear. It's, it's, it's in what he said and what happened to him. You see, one encounter with Jesus, who was full of the Holy Spirit, led him to be a man who was clothed in his right, and in his, notice these words, and in his right mind. I've actually already read you that same word for right mind. For God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Those are the exact same words. So here we see one, the influence of God's presence and work in his life is he now is in his sound mind. What was he operating in before? The spirit of fear. Because they, they are completely opposite. He says, God doesn't give you a spirit of fear, but my spirit will produce power, love, and what? A right mind. I'm going to tell you something. There is an antidote to the spirit of fear. It is a sound mind produced by the spirit of God in the life of a believer. Hallelujah. It's God's antidote. Paralyzing fear is not rational. And God's answer to irrational fear is a Holy Spirit-controlled mind. Now, I'm going to use Mark 5, and we're going to kind of just kind of expose the enemy. Now listen, as I'm teaching you today, it's not so, uh, you know, you, you think as if I've been uh, trolling you on social media or going through your stuff. I haven't been doing that. I actually, I use social media lightly. I'm not that interested in it. I use it because that's where people are, two billion people. So that's, that's, that's kind of why I use it. So I haven't been searching through. So if you think suddenly, you know, you start squirming because I start mentioning something that, that is present in your life, that is between you and the Lord. 
Now, let's talk about this spirit of fear that was using this man. First, the spirit of fear is fascinated with death. How do you know this man was fascinated with death? The brother lived in the tombs. I don't know if anybody told him about the property values. Which come to think of it, the property value in a graveyard is quite high. I mean, after all, they just get, you get a three-foot-wide space, 10 feet long, six feet deep. And man, that's like 10 grand. It's about a million an acre. I guess maybe he chose in, in one way the right way in terms of valuable ground. But this man is fascinated by death. He's living in the tombs. And let me tell you, there is a problem when the church, especially the church, is fascinated with death, zombies, the macabre. There is a problem. Why? Because it is attached to the manifestation of the spirit of fear. I had a mother call me in great distress. She didn't attend this church. She just was told by another pastor who she reached out to, oh, I know a guy who can help you. I'm like, why is this pastor not able to help her? You need to call Otis over at Calvary. Then she called me and I said, "Um, what's your problem, ma'am? Well, There was a knife sitting on our counter. We were all in the living room watching TV, and the knife flew off the counter and across our living room. I'm like, yeah, that could be problematic. (laughs) And I thought to myself, I am going to call that pastor as soon as I hang up. (laughs) He should be able to help this woman. But as I was listening to her and, and, and her and her husband were so terrified from this experience, they left the house. By the way, this wasn't in Africa. This was in Inverness. They left the house. They're like, we're not going back. I'm like, no, no, no. You can go back. After I pray, you, you can go back. However, we had to figure out what the open door is. Because some way, somehow, that got... There's an open door. And it, it, it's as clear as I'm talking to you, the Lord spoke to me and said, ask them about their fascination with zombies. I'm like, I've never talked to this woman, not one conversation. And I said, I said, and I'm trying to explain to her without sounding like the weirdo on the other side of the line. I'm like, you know, sometimes God talks to me. And I I want to ask you a question because I think he just spoke to me. I said, could you tell me about your fascination with zombies? And then she just lit up. Went from being afraid to like super fan. Oh, yes. We just love the walking dead. We have figurines all over our house. And oh, and our son plays the video games. And, he, and we, have, we have everything. Oh, it's so awesome. We just love zombies. I'm like. So, (laughs) if you would like to live in the house, 
Here's what I want you to do. Go and close the door by getting all of that stuff and throw it in the trash. And she was like, is that really the open door? I said, a fascination with death is always connected to a spirit of fear. Listen to me, church. You need to hear me on this. If, if there are things in your entertainment choices that are fascinated with death, you are opening a door to the spirit of fear. And you've wondered why you can love Jesus and struggle so much on the inside. You have got to close the door. And you say, how do I do that? In prayer, in Jesus' name. Now, here's the thing. The spirit-controlled mind, the sound mind, it's focused on the abundant life in Christ. And that's what we do in ministry. We try to get people to understand what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief does not come except to what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. People don't understand. The enemy doesn't like you. Satan doesn't like you. You can't befriend darkness. You can't befriend darkness. We used to do this play as I'm uh, looking at... Uh, 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 Birdie down here on the front row, she, we used to do this play. It was great. We'd do it either on Halloween or after harvest night, believe it or not. And it had a great title called Death, Demons, and Dismemberment. Don't you love youth ministry? <laughs> See, you think it's like some macabre thing. It was actually just all wild stories from the Bible reenacted. You say, there's enough content? Oh, yes, there is. Try it. Try it. We dressed somebody up in a bear costume and had them make fun of a prophet. There were some teenagers in the Old Testament made fun of the prophet. And then what happened? A bear comes out of the woods and eats them. We're just doing the Bible. We're just doing the Bible. We got to share the truth. I mean, I mean, I mean, you, you read, the, read the Bible, man, God's people are raising up. One of the evil kings runs away and gets real tired, lays down in a tent, gets told, oh, you can rest here, rest here, go ahead, take a nap. And a woman comes with a stake in her hand and drives a stake through his temple straight to the ground. Guys, you don't need HBO Max. Just get in there. Genesis to Revelation. It's an awesome book. Someone in our community, a young, a young woman, heard about our play at a church of all things named Death, Demons, and Dismemberment. She drove to the play in her car. You want to guess what her car was? A hearse. <laughs> Glory to God. I'm like, holy sp- I, I was a just youth pastor. I saw she pulled up in a hearse. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. You don't park in the parking lot. Just stretch that right in front, right here, <laughs> right here. Everybody's got to walk around it. She is right here in the front, right here in the front. She comes in, watches the play. We give an invitation to come to know Christ. She got set free that night. 
Why? Because you realize that darkness is not your friend. And that what we need to realize is that Jesus has come, that we might have abundant life. You see, believers, you are meant to set your mind on the abundant life that is in Christ, not on death. We're not constantly thinking. By the way, even the best of us sometimes are thinking about the great by and by. Man, I'm ready to get out of here. And while I believe that, that Jesus is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise, and then we which are are alive and remain, we'll be caught up in the air and we'll all be with the Lord in the air. Listen, I'm not living for what comes after death only. Because when you get born again and you have a spirit-controlled mind, you are actually thinking about the abundant life God has for you here. You can't check out once you get born again, once he encounters your life, once he deals with the darkness in you. You then become an agent to go and say, I am going to focus on life. And one of the brilliant things God does, he says, I am actually going to give you freedom to aim your thoughts, aim that spirit-controlled mind. Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if anything's praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. That's not the spirit of fear. That's the sound mind. So let's expose another one. The spirit of fear manifests a false strength. The spirit of fear manifests a false strength. In verse 4 it says, Because this man had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the, sh the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broke, broken into pieces. And I know that, that you may be thinking at, at first glance, how is that a false strength? By You know, this man is pulling apart chains and breaking metal shackles. How is that a false strength? Here's the issue. He was strong enough to deal with the shackles placed on him by man, but he was way too weak to deal with the bondage that had been placed on his life by Satan. Here he is, he's so bound, he cannot deal with the 6,800 visitors. He can break chains. He can make sounds like he's strong. But he's not strong at all. It's a false strength. Because his strength doesn't lead to liberty. A sound mind, actually, in contrast, relies on Christ's power. Listen, this is the way a sound mind thinks. We're not, we're not relying on our own strength. We are uh, children of God, as 1 John 4, 4 says. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I wonder if anybody realizes that no matter how strong a spirit that shows up in your life, it is not strong compared to God. People are like, ooh, don't mess with a Jezebel spirit. Not strong compared to Jesus. And that spirit of fear that's been paralyzing our nation, it's been paralyzing the church, I'm here to tell you, not strong compared to Jesus. Not strong. 
Notice what it says in Luke 10, verses 17 through 20. It says, and then the 70, these 70 no-name disciples that Jesus sends out, the 70, what, returned with joy. This is what they said. Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. Even demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus' response was, I was there when Satan was cast out of heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning. Here's what this means. As soon as the pride entered into Satan's heart and he said, I will be like the most high. I will ascend the sides of the north. I will be like the most high. God says, no, you will be brought down. And in an instant, like a lightning strike, he was cast from heaven to the earth. He's like, yeah, it was no problem for God. That rebellion, no problem. Jesus then reminds the 70, he says, hey, by the way, don't rejoice because they're subject to you in my name. Rejoice because your names are written on high. I want the joy in your life to be connected to the intimacy that we have as the family of God. But know this, there is not a devil, there is not a torment that cannot be conquered in the mighty and wonderful and powerful name of Jesus. He says, I give you authority to trample on serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, nothing shall by any means harm you. Let me give you just a couple more. The spirit of fear, this third thing comes from this passage, rejects reason. You ever been around someone who is impossible to reason with? No, don't point. Do not, do not look. Do not look. I saw some men. Here, that, that's not the way to deal with the spirit of fear. Wisdom would have just kept looking straight ahead. That's wisdom. You may have some legitimate reasons to fear. It said this about this demoniac. It said no one could tame him. No one could what? Reason with him. And listen, most people who are unreasonable, you can't reason with them, they have a bondage to the spirit of fear. They have a bondage. The seed of it is the spirit of fear. Why? Because if you reason with them, that means you'll change their mind and they're going to have to release control. And being out of control terrifies them. I want to tell you, he couldn't be tamed. And people who reject reason... Matter of fact, in, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, he says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. He said, listen, I want to reason with you. I want to engage you on the mind. I want you to understand clearly what I want to do in your life. Those who have a spirit of fear, they reject reason. But the sound mind, they actually what? Receive counsel. The sound mind receives counsel. Anybody who says, I don't need help, you need to understand, those people probably have a spirit of fear. If you reject counsel, notice what Proverbs says, 24, 6. It says, for wise counsel, you will wage your own war. Look at this. 
If you've been in a warfare in your mind, you've been in a warfare in your life, you've not been able to sleep at night, the last thing you need to do is think, I can fight this on my own. Why don't you get some brothers and sisters who will counsel you with the word of God and the power of God, who will pray with you and stand with you? Because this verse says, wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And I would add this in, and you will win it. And in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Receives counsel. Let me give you this last one. The spirit of fear self destructs to cope. This is what we're learning from Mark chapter 5 in this one man and what was happening in his life when the spirit of fear was operating. It self destructs to cope. Notice this. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. He cut himself with stones. You know, one of the saddest things that I ever had to face in working with young people is when a young person was always wearing long sleeves, 95 degrees outside. You knew maybe there was something else going on. Because there's been this seduction by a spirit of fear that says, if you cut yourself, you can actually cope with the pain. I'm here to tell you, there is a spirit behind that. If there's a young person in here, or maybe you're in your 20s, and you've been cutting yourself, trying to cope with the pain, the, the spirit behind that is demonic. And it goes all the way back. And I want to tell you, there's liberty and freedom. I've, I've watched the, the, those with scars who said, I, I didn't know how to be free. They, they would have scars on their arms, up high on their thighs. Parents, if you don't know about this, you need to know about it because it's going on. Now, most of these young people are not suicidal. They're just in pain and they don't know how to be free of this spirit of fear and this thing that is paralyzing them from moving forward. And what happens is when they cut themselves, those endorphins flood them and then just for a moment they receive a little bit of relief. But I'm going to tell you that self-destruction of any kind to cope always leads to death. Listen, you may not have a razor blade in your hand, but, but you grab the pill bottle. And your razor blade is too many Xanax. You may not have a razor blade, but you probably go to the bottle for peace rather than the Holy Spirit. Spirit of fear. It says, here's what you look like in the spirit. You look like a crazy man screeching in pain in the tombs, cutting himself with rocks, trying to find relief. Going, I can't find relief. But then one day, a rabbi steps off the boat. A savior steps off the boat. 6,800 demons couldn't keep you from running to his feet and worshiping. I don't know what kind of pain you're in, but I'm telling you, if you're in the self-destruct mode, 
There's a spirit behind it. But the self, the, the, the sound mind, those who are really walking with Christ, you're not under the spirit of fear, but the sound mind, instead of self-destructing, it self-denies. Oh man, here's the part of Christianity no one really wants to talk about. Self-denial. Jesus said these words, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You say, what, what does that look like, denying myself? Sometimes it's just letting your flesh know, flesh, you're not in charge. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Sometimes that's as simple as um, making a better choice about what you eat. Sometimes it's making the choice to fast and seek God. Your flesh will never agree to that. You must bring your flesh as the kicking and screaming three-year-old that it will become. Your spirit goes, I love the intimacy with God when I'm fasting. Your flesh says, I will sit here and pout. But, uh, but listen... A sound mind self-denies. Why? Because we know that God suddenly breaks into our life when we seek him in prayer, fasting, and generosity, forgiveness, that Sermon on the Mount lifestyle. Galatians 5 says it this way. If you're in Christ, if you're that one that the Spirit of God has moved in, right where, listen, right where, the word self-control is. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. Again, that same word is sound mind. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Sound mind. It says this. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When you have a sound mind, you say, no, you're not having sex till you're married. I blessed all of you with that. <laughs> Men, look at me. It says this. Porn is bondage. And you are opening a door to Satan. It's bondage. Women, unfortunately, now 40% are using porn regularly. It's bondage. Close the door. Tell your flesh, it's time for you to get in line with what God has done in me. I am not giving in to every whim of flesh. My flesh will one day be shed and made completely brand new. But the born again part of me, my spirit, and the renewed part of me, my mind, will dominate what my flesh does in, in this life by the grace of God. I want to finish today with this great story. The way this story ends is incredible. You should read all of it in Matthew, uh, Mark 5. 
Here he is sitting clothed in his right mind. Everybody in the region says, Jesus, you, you, you got to leave. You're turning everything upside down. You got to leave. Jesus said, fine, I'll go. Jesus and his disciples go to get in the boat. And here's this man, this Gentile, this demonized man who now has been set free. Everybody's getting in the boat. He's like, well, I'm just getting in the boat. And Jesus looked at him and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm following you. That's it. That's it. I got nothing else. I'm following you. Jesus said, no, you're not. One of the few times that Jesus actually looked at somebody who was genuine in their conversion and in their experience and said, no, not my plan for you. And this is what he says. Go and tell all your family and friends the good work that God has done in your life. Listen to this. And that man immediately left and went and began to preach in Decapolis. Decapolis means ten cities. The beautiful part of this story isn't that one man got set free by Christ. It's that through one free man, ten cities got set free through Christ. And I wonder if there aren't some people here at Calvary Church today that says it is long enough the reign and rule and terror of the spirit of fear in my life. I believe God has got a region for me to tell of his goodness and of his love and of his mercy and of his grace and of his power toward us who believe. I believe there's an assignment for me to walk in. You've been sitting there thinking all day, I wonder if I could get free. And Jesus all along has been hovering over you by the, by the Spirit going, I wonder if they'll ever look up and see the city. I wonder if they'll ever look up. Get free and look up and see the region and the assignment I've placed on their life. Regional revival was released through one person who rejected fear and embraced power, love, and a sound mind. And that was given through Jesus 